Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. For me, it was for a long time a very lonely journey. So it, it became a bit overwhelming. So it's a really tough and lonely journey, and you need always someone with you to really help you with that. Welcome to Conversations with Lulu. I'm Lulu Khazan, an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. My guest today is Jalil Al-Labadi, a Jordanian entrepreneur whom I've been following for quite some time now, and I finally got the chance to meet him recently and learn more about his business, altibbi.com. If you haven't heard of Altibbi, I'm sure this will change in the near future. Post-COVID, healthcare has been catapulted to the top of the list of industries that need to be digitized and disrupted. Since the start of COVID, Altibbi has offered close to a million online consultations across the MENA region. At some point, they even offered 15,000 consultations in one day. In this conversation, we will chat about uh, Jalil's 10-year overnight success. So Jalil, how are you? Hi, hi. How does it feel to have a, a 10-year overnight success? Uh, and it feels <laughs> Working weird. on it. Working on it. Working um, on it. And also, it, it, it depends how you define success. That's a great point. Have you figured it out? Yeah, I, I haven't figured it out yet, but I can say we are not even 1% there yet. And the dream is to, to make it beyond Amina business right your your aspirations are are bigger than that so the aspiration is uh, definitely beyond me now it's uh, it's towards covering the entire emerging markets uh, but but it's not only geographical it's also about what we want to accomplish with that which is more about how we look at uh, healthcare uh, becoming something completely different from what it is today Interesting. And we're going to talk more about that. But before we, we jump into uh, Altibbi, I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I feel that be, behind every entrepreneur, there's always a great story. There's always a tipping point, something that happens that, that you know, that gives you this, uh, this eureka moment almost that, okay, I'm done. I'm done with, uh, with being an employee. I, I want to start my own business. Uh, did did you have such uh, such a moment, or what what inspired you to to say, okay, um, you know, I'm going to start a business? I, I guess it it was an an, uh, an aspiration, a long term, a long time uh, aspiration. But that eureka moment didn't happen at work. I wasn't an employee at that specific moment. Uh, it was actually in a classroom uh, doing my MBA with uh, with my professor. Uh, we were working on uh, a class project. Uh, and it was all about how do we promote the uh, Arabic Arabic medical dictionary that my father had published a couple of years earlier. We had envisioned it to become all the digital, etc. And we presented that in the class. And then the professor 
called me up and asked me if that was only for the class or it was actually uh, something I would want to work uh, work on. So I, at that specific moment, it just dawned on me that this is something I want to actually work on. Your father, mm. so your father was a, a doctor? My father is a doctor, he's a surgeon, uh, yes, and uh, he is not only a surgeon, he actually wrote multiple books about uh, health awareness and how to spread health awareness. But his major, uh, major work and the thing that he's uh, until now the mostly proud of is the medical dictionary, which he wanted to facilitate the communication between doctors and patients in the region. Because that, that's not something that existed before? Actually, it is the first Arabic-Arabic medical dictionary. Uh, it sounds unreal, but it is true. Uh, all wow. medical dictionaries in the region are English, Arabic, French, Arabic. Uh, and part of that reason is that medical schools uh, in the Arab world until today uh, teach medicine in English or French, uh, not in Arabic. So you started basically uh, almost a WebMD, right, in, uh, in Arabic? initially is that that was the the origins of the business so you took the content and then you put it online in arabic and then you decided one day that what i'm gonna do this full time exactly <laughs> so, so why, <laughs> why did you decide that okay i'm gonna forego a very nice salary because i know that you used to work in in, in multinationals you know before you did your mba uh you know you're you're a young uh, man at the time uh, Arab man, obviously the expectations are you have to raise a family and uh, and uh, pay the bills. So you so you decided no, I'm not gonna get a job. I'm going to pursue this. Uh, yeah, it is crazy. I do admit. <laughs> How old were you uh, at the time? I wasn't that young actually. I was 29. 29. Okay. And then 20, what did you do? So you were in the U.S. doing your MBA, and then what happened? I uh, picked up and came back to Jordan after about 12 years living abroad and uh, started uh, thinking about how do I start the business, you know, renting an office or not, hiring people or working with an agency to develop the website, uh, uh, you know, all the, the you know, going to, to the government offices to, to register the company, working with a lawyer, you know, all that kind of stuff. And why did you decide on uh, Jordan? A uh, very great question. Um, I don't have a straight answer for that. I think it was just uh, a comfort zone. You know, I wanted to start a completely crazy idea. So I wanted at least my surroundings to be uh, to be comfortable to me. Uh, I had family here. Uh, I had friends. Uh, I had not been living there, here for 12 years prior, but still I thought it would be uh, an easier place for me to 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 jump in. Okay, so you you started the business. You you were uh, paying obviously probably out of pocket initially, and then mm -hmm. you were making revenue. So it took us uh, about a year and a half before we started making any revenue from advertising. Um, uh, yeah, we needed to drive uh, some uh, traffic before uh, we can actually claim some advertising. Uh, at the beginning, of course, we did. I uh, started making some money from Google Ads, but the real breakthrough came when we uh, we actually were approached by Shweri uh, Advertising Group, and they uh, they uh, proposed to take us on board uh, as their medical uh, advertising platform, and that's when we started making some re some real revenue.
Interesting. And that, at the time, it was the, the dictionary, but were you still also creating content? You were still putting uh, like articles about health, I assume? And oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, think of that. Uh, when my father spent about 20 years to write a dictionary that had 15,000 terms uh, in, let's say, uh, about 1,000 pages, uh, Today, Al-Tibbi has 2 million pages of content, and we cover wow. more than 100,000 terms in terms of um, a dictionary kind of way. So you started in 2011, then you had the, the advertising model. I know that you've decided to change the business model at some point, so what, what happened there? Um, yeah, it, it wasn't an overnight thought. Let's, let's put it there. It's, it's uh, just an evolution in thinking. I mean, we were making money, we were making revenues, and they were growing steadily, but uh, it, it was slower than what we wanted and what we dreamed of. We, you know, when, when you start, when you embark on this on a journey like this, you really want to make something very big. You don't want to make it uh, barely surviving kind of business. So when it is only barely surviving and it's just increasing five to ten percent year on year this is what not what you'd be aspiring for and that's that was leading us to frustration and we started digging around and seeing what do patients actually want what can we think about and one of our major uh, or more successful features on Altibi was actually a free Q&A platform where doctors were answering free questions to patients and patients were adopting and increasingly using that, that feature. So we realized that there's something in that interaction between the doctor and the patient. A patient just wanted to read content and that's definitely impactful and helpful, but then they wanted something more, something different. Each patient thinks that his or her case is unique uh, to him or herself. Uh, it's, so the generic content is not enough. They wanted something more. And that's when we started, you know, building something around that. So the opportunity for you, you felt that, okay, it's not advertising. It's, it has to be something different. And you decided then to go into the, the, the telehealth uh, route. Yes, uh, gradually, yes. I mean, we started focusing more on and more on this free Q&A driving interactions. And then the thinking became uh, more focused on how do we monetize that specific feature. And that's we, when we started experimenting with a lot of models, by the way, not only telehealth. Telehealth was the last thing that started actually succeeding. And uh, we decided to, to continue with that. So did you decide to fundraise at some point uh, when, as you were thinking about a new direction for the business? So yes, uh, when we, we decided that advertising is not gonna take us far, we decided to fundraise and to, to be able to switch because we could not really go uh, full on with advertising while we wanted to to build something new. Uh, and that's when we started approaching investors. And it was a really uh, tough call because all they were seeing were, was advertising while we wanted to pitch that we wanted to get out of advertising and do something unproven. So, so did you, but you got money ultimately? Ultimately, yes. It took us some time, but ultimately, yes, we did. Did you have did you have any competitors at the time, or or was it like for the investor? Was it a case that okay, there's only Altibi doing uh, healthcare, so let's let's just invest in them? Actually, there was a very well funded uh, competitor back then, uh, and the backstory of that is on the day we were supposed to sign the investment papers, our competitor uh, announced 
a 3.2 million raise on that same day and uh, our investors freaked out. So it was... Uh, <laughs> and how much were moments. you trying to raise? Half a million. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so what happened? <laughs> um, we, we succeeded in, in explaining that this competitor was raising more money to do more of the same, which is more advertising, which we were seeing was not scaling. And we were pitching that we wanted actually the half a million to get out of advertising. So that was uh, the pitch. And ultimately it worked. But yeah, that, that, uh, that moment happened. Is the competitor still uh, in existence? It is now part of a larger company. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you raised uh, you raised that first check and then uh, yeah. that half a million, and then you you went on uh, developing the the FAQ section, as you said, and uh, and yeah. you went into telehealth and and then you launched. Uh, how, how was it when you when you launched? Uh, did you were you certain it's going to work? Were you certain it's the future? No, no, absolutely not. We were not certain about its success. And as I told you before, we, we actually tried multiple things prior and, and many of those uh, earlier experiments failed. So we had no reason to believe this one will uh, particularly succeed. Uh, plus, there weren't many examples around the world of successful examples. Uh, there, there are a couple of companies in the US doing that. But their focus was entirely, actually until now, the focus is entirely on B2B while we were trying to do telehealth uh, direct to consumer. So asking the patient to pay out of pocket to, to talk to a doctor, uh, which, were, which is until now fairly unique around the world. Uh, so yes, uh, there was no reason to believe this one will succeed over the others, but we were trying it anyway. So is this something uh, like what's what do you feel is something unique to our region? Uh, and, and, you know, that kind of makes a service like Altubi uh, important. There's there are a lot of bad things about our region that make uh, something like Altubi uh, a needed uh, service. Uh, we have. Uh, it's a very large region, uh, many people, we have about 400 or 500 million people now in this region, speaking Arabic, I mean, uh, with very bad healthcare services overall uh, across. Uh, we don't have any primary care infrastructure, uh, plus there is a lack of doctors compared to population, um, if you compare that to, the, to other regions in the world, uh, plus, uh, on top of all of that, insurance is not widespread. So yeah, these these are uh, these were the ingredients we were seeing, and we that uh, that gave us some, um, uh, you know, some confidence about trying a service like this and and targeting consumers directly. Uh, it took us some time, of course, to to uh, make all these different uh, little things work fine uh, to attract and scale with consumers. But we were seeing that customers and patients were actually very adamant on this. They needed it. It had a lot of impact, uh, and uh, we were seeing numbers going up. How much do you charge? So, for example, um, for like how how does it work? Uh, we normally charge uh, $5 a month to get unlimited telehealth consultations 24-7 with a trusted, qualified primary care doctor within wow. five minutes. Wow. And by primary care, this is a GP, basically? Yes, exactly. exactly. And, and you haven't uh, expanded into other, like, uh, let's say, specialties? 
So we, we, we don't want to expand in the traditional sense of, uh, of doing that. We want to expand vertically. So the whole thing, the whole idea is that patients need to see a primary care doctor before seeing a specialist. And this is our triage service. This is our first line of defense. We can actually solve 50 to 60% of the cases we're getting. And if the cases cannot be solved over the phone or chat, then we do refer to the right specialist to be to take care of this case. Uh, this is the way we look at it. We are trying to digitize the way healthcare is managed uh, in Europe, for example, or the US, and do it here in a much more scalable, efficient uh, way so that we can drive as much access as possible in this region. That's amazing. It's funny, you know, you said the region is uh, is uh, is different. And I mean, obviously, we all know that the region is quite uh, fragmented. And mm. like as an example, you know, I live in Dubai and Dubai health insurance is mandatory. Right. Mm -hmm. So so and, and you can't you can't be here unless you have health insurance. Uh, so, for example, like for me, uh, you know, but of course, like having the ability to access someone 24 seven, that's that's. That's amazing. Uh, but in Lebanon, uh, as an example, I mean, I'm Lebanese, you know, you don't really have uh, health insurance that's mandatory and you don't have uh, good infrastructure. Absolutely. So when you go to the doctor, it's damn expensive. Uh, I mean, exactly. you're talking five dollars. I mean, in Lebanon, it's probably I mean, now with the lira, I don't I can't even <laughs> calculate. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, like what would it be? But but it used to be something like uh, uh, like fifty thousand liras uh, to you know to see a GP, which is not cheap. So that's amazing, and and five dollars, wow! And you you're operational across the region. So we we are not in North Africa yet. We are covering the entire GCC, Levant, and. Uh, and Egypt. Actually, uh, Levant, except for Lebanon, uh, we just did launch Lebanon now because of the situation there, but normally we were out of Lebanon uh, and yeah, and out of North Africa thus far. And I saw on your social media that you've recently said that you're waiving all fees uh, for Lebanon at the, at the moment, right. which is, uh, which is amazing. I'm, I'm sure many people would, uh, would make use of the service. Actually, I can, I can only imagine uh, with, with all that's happening. That's great. In total, uh, in total, you've raised eight and a half million dollars. That's a fairly, That's fairly big amount. And I'm sure, you know, post COVID, uh, I'm sure you're cooking something uh, at the moment. And I'm sure COVID has accelerated uh, things for you dramatically. So just maybe to give us an idea in terms of like pre and, and post COVID, can you, can you share, uh, you know, like some, some numbers? Or give some examples of you know how it was before and and you know the impact of COVID on on your business. Sure, uh, COVID definitely has changed everything, uh, everything in terms of healthcare in this region, uh, as well as many other things. But uh, when it comes to Altibi itself, uh, a couple of numbers can give an idea of, of uh, how things changed. Uh, when we launched uh, end of two thousand sixteen. And uh, until actually uh, January 2020, we had completed 1 million consultations. And we were actually thinking this was a, a tremendous achievement because global companies like Teladoc uh, 
took you know about 11 years to reach the 1 million consultations mark so we were celebrating that as an as an accomplishment and then from covid on as you just mentioned we we uh, completed close to 1 million consultations in 5 6 months now uh, so it is it's a, it's a lot you know when you think about that in terms of uh, the the uh, the amount of doctors we had to get on board, the training we had to do, the scalability, the infrastructure, all, all of that, and we had to do that within uh, within days and weeks to to be able to to serve all these consultations. Um, even doctors normally were were hard to convince that this actually works. Uh, we had to really get them on board and train and do that. Now it's we have more than one thousand four hundred doctors on our platform where where we had. 200 before COVID. Things have uh, accelerated quite a lot. Yeah, I saw in uh, some of the information you provided me before the uh, for our interview, you you get around 20 million 20 million people basically visiting uh, Al Tibbi every month. That's right. That's right. That's that's unbelievable. So this is the future. So how how is this um, like? Have you had? I'm sure. I mean, since since all this happened, you've you've been uh, maybe thinking differently or or has it like changed your vision? Not changed, let's say accelerated our vision into the future. So we yeah. were building things uh, gradually, building one thing after another. Uh, now we had to actually, uh, we were forced to develop and push things out to the market at a, in a much faster manner. An example to that is our clinic product, which is uh, the uh, software as a service product that we we push to to specialist doctors to use at their clinics uh, to manage, you know, the patient profile, patient files, uh, etc. Uh, we were doing that. We had launched it in a, in a beta version in 2019. We were just uh, testing it with doctors. Then COVID hit. And suddenly this became something uh, of a necessity. It wasn't a luxury anymore because doctors needed to see their patients and they needed to log in their data while they could not actually reach the clinic physically itself. So we had to push the virtual um, virtual visits uh, through that uh, software and, and onboard more and more doctors to it as fast as possible. Our vision is still the same, which is actually to manage the entire patient journey virtually and, and as efficiently as possible. Uh, but it just got much more accelerated now. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, your entrepreneurial journey, right? Uh, mm. I mean, there's always, uh, there's always uh, tons of, uh, of learnings. Uh, there's always tons of mistakes and, uh, I, I, you know, what I love about entrepreneurship is one day you're on top of the world, the other day you're just, you know, <laughs> in the trenches uh, fighting for your life, uh, which is always, uh, which is always interesting. Did you, did you have any, like, uh, perceptions that were busted, as an example, like before you were an entrepreneur? Yeah, definitely. I thought it would be easier. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, they they make it look so glamorous, right? Like the the, the the successful entrepreneurs of the world. Absolutely, you read about them, and uh, the stories are always linear. You know, uh, they did this, they did that, and suddenly they are rich and famous. And yeah. uh, in reality, it's absolutely not that. And uh, you realize there are a lot of circles in between uh, that nobody talks about. 
almost nine years, almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. So were there points in your journey where you thought like, this is not going to work? Uh, I, like I'm going to shut it down or this is not working? Many times. Many times. <laughs> Many times. And what stopped you? Yeah. I don't know. I think um, sometimes, I mean, the last time I had this, I actually had one of my uh, my major investors call me in and giving me this uh, very big talk uh, and uh, encouraging me to stay on and, and you know, to calm down and, and persist. And yeah, thankfully, I listened to him. Uh, the ones before, I think there's a, there's a mix of naiveness and maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe stupidity and maybe just uh, just uh, sheer optimism, you know, it's just you, you believe, you know, it will happen, you know, just just keep doing it. It will it will change. Uh, thankfully for me, uh, it worked every time uh, we're still in, but uh, the journey is still long. I've, I mean, I've spoken to several entrepreneurs on, on the show already. Uh, and one of them recently told me uh, he was one of the co-founders of, uh, of Talabat. And, and he said, you know, if you think entrepreneurship is being smart and hard work, like you're wrong. It's not only that. I mean, obviously it's for granted, but he said luck, you know, plays a big role in it. Do you, mm -hmm. do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, uh, we just started the conversation with that, right? I got lucky that my father actually wrote this dictionary and I, I happened to be his son and uh, started helping him on it and worked with it and uh, got lucky that a professor actually said those words to me and that eureka moment happened. And uh, yeah, along the years, many lucky things happened, many less lucky things happened as well. So it's, uh, <laughs> I can't, can't disagree with that statement. So what were like some of the, um, I mean, let's say uh, major learnings or uh, along the way, like as, a, as an entrepreneur, uh, you've had a co-founder at some point and then you didn't have someone and then you have someone else. So I know you've, you've been through that. I've been through that. So mm -hmm. was there any, any red flags or any learnings that you can share? Look, um, uh, unfortunately, uh... For me, it was for a long time a very lonely journey. Uh, I, I was this whole founder or this whole managing partner, at least in this in this uh, journey, and uh, I needed someone to really work with me and uh, and hold and uh, take some of the responsibilities from me. You know, it's, it's uh, it it became a bit overwhelming, and that's something I I try to 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 pass uh, pass along as a as a lesson learned that it's it's a really tough and lonely journey and you need always someone with you to really help you with that and that's why i was always on the look for a co-founder uh to help me with that and unfortunately i i uh, i screwed up with the first two uh, i'm uh, finally we 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 have a co-founder with, with whom we, we work very well and very closely and things have become much better for me personally speaking. I don't know if, if, there, if it's the same for him, but at least for me, it's, it's been much easier to manage. Uh, but yeah. Red Does flags. he come from a startup background as well? Yes, he's actually, uh, uh, he actually started a company in healthcare and uh, failed at it and then joined a startup before joining Altibi. So yes, he is that sort of a person who actually went through the troubles himself and, and could pass uh, some of these learnings to me. 
I am uh, I'm a first time entrepreneur in that sense. So I don't have past learnings. Uh, so I had to really learn on the on the job uh, from my stumbles and from my experiences. So having someone with me uh, definitely helped. And the red flags? Um, red flags, I, I think these are common sense. I don't know why they, they didn't pass through my mind <laughs> before, but now looking back, they seem very much like, uh, like uh, common sense, but it's a lot around ego. If you see a person who is in this, and he wants the title of co-founder, etc., for the ego and for the prestige, instead of actually for the work and for the company, and uh, you know, not actually uh, embracing the values and the mission of the company. So yes, that's a huge red flag. Uh, I missed it twice. Uh, the third was a much better call. That's good. So we always learn uh, learn from uh, from our mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> And and what about um, what about you know I mean you've you've raised quite a bit of money you've done multiple rounds uh, of funding uh, I know that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with raising money and I know that obviously the bigger the amounts uh, you know the more challenging so so are there any any kind of advice or learnings on the on the fundraising front. Uh, first thing I really would like to say is that fundraising is not the game itself. Uh, we're fundraising because we want to scale the company. And I feel actually I did myself fall into the trap that fundraising was in itself the thing to do. Uh, and you start celebrating when you're, when you're raising even more amounts. Uh, then you realize that, wait, uh, I'm not in this to fundraise. I'm actually in this to build a company. And fundraising is here to help me building that company, not, uh, not you know, fundraising in itself. Uh, so yes, celebrate in the sense that you found people to believe in you and, and give you that money to scale, but not focus on that journey. Uh, and uh, I got uh, stuck into that uh, quite a bit. Uh, and uh, now I'm um, focusing entirely on building the business. We've all uh, fallen into that trap, by the way. I'm, I'm, uh, we've all fallen into that trap. You're right. I think, I think media helps in that, right? You know, it's always celebrating the mega rounds and yeah. this company is this and this, that. And they're not celebrating the company. They're celebrating that people pumped money into the company, which is, uh, which is not always healthy. That's true because you you don't really know what are the numbers, uh, you know, in the company and how healthy is the, their revenue and their operations and uh, and we still see it unfortunately all the time. You know, I mean, this is like the the major announcement. I I always I had a chat with Philip Bahoshi of Magnet and I told him I'd love to see one day that you know X company is doing hundred million dollars in revenue or you know what I mean or or X million in profit or something. I think that would be that would be great when we when we get to that stage versus yeah. celebrating that they raised five or, or 10 million. But I mean, again, it's still like a, a big achievement. In I, a way. I do agree. I'm not I'm not trying to discount that, but it's very um, also, I mean, people need to uh, remain with their feet on the ground and realize yeah. that, OK, they got now the big amount of money and it's now about building the company, not about, yeah, I, I raised this money and, and that that this money becomes the metric of success. It's not, it's part of, or an indication or, you know, something along the journey to indicate that you're on the right track or not. Absolutely. And how are your dealings in general, like with the, with the investors from this part of the world? Is there, 
is there anything that, uh, again, any advice for, for entrepreneurs, maybe things to look out for uh, or things to do when they are approaching investors or when, or when they're doing these uh, very long and time-consuming uh, discussions? Uh, any, any advice there? Uh, it's hard. Uh, they have to be very patient. that <laughs> thing. Uh, again, I, I did raise uh, eight point five million dollars. That's true, but that's nothing compared to the to the amounts that you see now and here in the news uh, being raised every single day in this region. So the industry has been changing quite a lot. The investors themselves have been changing, uh, changing and growing. And so if you look back five, six, or ten years ago investors were just uh, as new as we were to the business. So as, uh, as I said, I was learning on the job and they were too, they were learning on the job. So things were being, you know, built up. Um, today, I think they're a much more sophisticated. Uh, lawyers are much more sophisticated, etc. cetera. Uh, but ultimately the, the most important lesson I learned is that uh, valuation is something, the funding, the amount, etc. is also, also beautiful and dandy but then the real the real work is actually in the fine print you know in the shareholders agreement and what rights do you get what rights do investors get and this is where uh, i used to be super naive and and uh, you know uh, not understand how important they were and then with time you realize that you know this is the real battle and even if you if you lose a bit on the valuation, the important thing is to protect uh, yourself and the company with those two clauses here and there. It's, it's interesting because you would think that the investor and the entrepreneur's, um, uh, let's say, uh, interests, you know, should, should align and the company's interests should align. Uh, and, and I'm surprised sometimes to hear that... Um, you know, founders had, for example, very punitive type of clauses in their shareholders' agreements and uh, and so on. Because if uh, you know, if the founder loses their motivation or their incentives, then there's no business, right? I mean, what what's the thinking there? Uh, you're you're right. I mean, look, I uh, in case my investors are watching, I, I don't mean them. They they will be watching. <laughs> I had I had super amazing investors. So I don't mean, no, but I mean in, in general. You hear this all the time, Jalil. This is not uh, you yeah. know. No, see, look, the, the reality the reality of it is that yes, in the theory is exactly what you were saying. We should be aligned. We're it's all about growing the company, and and it's all about uh, making the best for both. At the end of the day, theoretically, we're partners. And this is uh, a partnership. We're we're both in. Uh, in reality, is a bit is a bit different. Uh, in reality, we're people, and investors are not managing their own money. They're managing LPs' money, and it took me quite some time to understand this. Uh, sometimes they act as people, and this is not necessarily aligned with the theory of it. So just to clarify to everyone, an LP is basically a limited partner in a, in a venture capital fund. So these are the people that actually put in the money that the that the general partners end up uh, investing. So you're saying, okay, so the most important then uh, lesson is to, to be very careful about your shareholders agreement. Uh, assume hire very good lawyers. Actually, 
So to interrupt you, you actually have to be be really careful about who, which investors you want to take on board. This is even before the shareholders agreement. Do you have any uh, flags, any learnings? Like I'm sure you're probably fundraising. Uh, you know, if not now, I'm sure you will very soon. So, so what do you look for as as Jalil for Al Tabi? Ideally, you'd be looking at investors who to act as the theory asks them to do. So to be aligned with you, be real partners, to be constructive and, and work together on building this business to forward. And then uh, when they're partners, then they do understand there are down times and there are up times and they should be in this uh, in the good and the bad. Uh, this is the most important thing. How do you achieve that kind of partnership is the real work. This is where you have to, it's like, uh, you know, onboarding, a team member or a co-founder, you have to do your job. It's a lot of common sense. You have to uh, listen to your, to the red flags. It's a, it's a lot of all of that. At the end of the day, think about it. That think about investors as people you're getting on board. Forget the money for a minute and think about it as uh, bringing someone on on this journey. And you really want to be super comfortable with them. You will be doing mistakes. We all did mistakes, a lot of them. But ultimately, this is what you keep aspiring for. Uh, so yeah, when uh, now if I'm talking to investors and it becomes serious, I do the complete due diligence on them, just as I do with uh, a new employee I'm getting on board. I want to listen to other portfolio companies. How was their experiences with them? How is their dealing with them? How were their terms uh, legally? And how did they act in the in the bad times? So you listen to all of that, and then you you make a 360 uh, understanding or impression of these investors you want to work with. I mean, uh, absolutely. I, I feel that, you know, when we when we started 2011, for me, like 2012, there weren't a lot of investors around. So usually the due diligence was on the entrepreneur. Uh, mm. I think we were at a point where, you know, there's there's a bit of a shift now where entrepreneurs are also doing due diligence on the investors. As you said, are mm. they the right partners for me? And I agree with you. It's uh, it's absolutely critical. Yeah, so, take maturity on both sides. I mean, this is uh, something that is happening uh, in this region, and and I'm seeing very good signs, and I love that. I mean, if you compare that to, to the years we started, yeah, there's a huge shift. I think you need uh, humility, Jalil. Like I, you know, mm. the 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 problem is sometimes that, as you said, we were all learning. Everyone was learning. Mm. Uh, the the lawyers, the investors, the entrepreneurs. I mean. You know, you're a first-time entrepreneur. I was, I was a first-time entrepreneur as well. So there's quite a, you know, it's not like we've done it before many times. And and sometimes it's good to say, uh, you know, what we were learning. But you you don't really hear that very often from investors. Uh, there's always like a lot of confidence, a lot of, uh, you know. Uh, don't want to say ego, but uh, but it's as if like we knew it. No, it is ego. There's a lot of ego. Yeah. <laughs> you, so so everyone everyone was learning. Uh, mm. So I, I don't think there's uh, there's no I you know there's no shame in, uh, in in saying that. But things are definitely different at the moment and definitely changing, which is good, which is very good. Absolutely. I mean, uh, before that, investors had the money and they were in the position of power. You know, there were few investors and a lot of entrepreneurs asking for yeah. their money. So they were acting as from a position of power. Uh, today, this has changed. And you can see that. You can see that in the, in the, in the interactions, in the shareholders agreements, in the term sheets. Things have, have changed quite a lot in that sense. And you do spend a lot of time fundraising as a founder. I mean, if you have to, I mean, you tell me, like you, you've raised 
multiple rounds. How much time do you spend on this? Not as much as before. Oh, okay. I learned, I learned my lesson. That's good. And when you're not uh, in the trenches, when you're not at the office, when you're not uh, thinking of to be uh, morning, evening, afternoon, weekends, uh, do you, what do you do in, in, in general? Like, how, how do you distress? I'm sure, I'm sure you've had a lot of like anxiety throughout the years. Uh, you know, so sometimes, sometimes I, I went through st stressful times and they were so stressful. It's like, I feel physically sick, you know, my stomach, mm -hmm. my stomach actually hurts. So I'm sure at your level, you've probably been through uh, this. So how do you de-stress? So what do you do in, outside of mm -hmm. Outside of Altibi, I have a, I have a big family, so uh, yeah, they they keep How me distressed. <laughs> I have four kids. Four kids, wow! Yeah, so uh, they take up a lot of my time. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of distressing in itself. And then I uh, I do have hobbies. I do read and uh, play sports. Uh, so I I do uh, kind of uh, forget about Altibi for some time in my day. So do you have like a routine? I mean, you know, you read about, you know, successful people waking up at five o'clock and, uh, you know, uh, training and uh, doing all these things. Do you have like a routine or not necessarily? Uh, I do, but it's not dictated by the books I read uh, uh, from about successful people. I, it's mostly dictated by the family. So yeah, my, my son wakes <laughs> me up normally at uh, 5.36 and I have to wake up with him, play and uh, prepare breakfast and now <laughs> the other kids come in. So yeah, this is come <laughs> my routine in that sense. Uh, but yeah, I do dedicate at least half an hour to an hour to read every day. I do play sports three times a week um and uh you know that's try great to, to to eat healthy stay healthy interesting so you so so you keep it uh you keep it uh simple let's say you don't you don't have to uh be very strict with yourself yes i don't believe in that i do believe in yeah. simplicity yeah i agree with you i feel that there's enough stress uh in life already than to have a, a routine that you have to stick to even though some people say that it's uh, it's very helpful. Uh, so, yeah, some people do. I I don't. You don't. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Are there? Do you have any parting uh, thoughts um, or you know anything that you'd like to to leave us with? Did you, you know, we started off with the definition of uh, of success, and you spoke about al tibbi But what about maybe what about personal success? Have you? Have you determined what that is? Uh, I mean, personal success is definitely to be to be happy, to have a happy family. Uh, that's that's the ultimate definition of success to me. Uh, but then uh, it becomes a bit intertwined with with what we do. You know, like many philosophers uh, define the person for what this person does, so it becomes a bit uh, more uh, connected with ultimate success and. Uh, I definitely do want Altibi to grow and and fulfill the dream we have, uh, but I don't want to connect my personal satisfaction in life uh, with that alone. That's that's just for That's very important. And by the way, that's a lot of entrepreneurs mm. uh, have that they, their company's success is is their success as well. But I but I also find it dangerous uh, considering. Mm -hmm. You know, considering statistically, 
uh, mm. a lot of companies don't really make it. So, uh, so I think, exactly. and, and we read a lot about entrepreneurs, uh, depression and, uh, and loneliness and all of that. So I think there is a small uh, caveat there and, you know, always uh, keep them as, as much as you can separate, even though, you know, it's, it's your baby. Exactly. Exactly. That's why as I've an been through that. So you know, you, le you live and learn. Yeah, when people tell you don't take it personally, oh well, uh, you know that's my company. That's <laughs> <laughs> very difficult. Exactly, exactly, one hundred percent. Okay, well, thank you so much, uh, Jalil. Uh, it was uh, great having you on the show. Um, for everybody that was listening, that was Jalil Al-Labadi from altubbi.com. You should definitely go out and uh, check his website. Uh, amazing service, 24-7 doctors, um, $5 a month, really uh, un unbeatable uh, prices and unbeatable value, I think. Uh, definitely would love to see where Altubbi goes in the future. Um, for everyone who's been listening, thank you so much. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to Conversations with Lulu on all podcast platforms and also on our YouTube channel. Um, thank you so much and stay safe. And until next time, thank you so much, everyone. Bye-bye. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.